Galatians chapter 3 at verse 15, if you will uh, uh, find that place. Um, We're going to cover this little paragraph, Lord willing, tonight, Um, beginning in verse 15. Uh, And by the way, concerning this little voice thing, if you don't mind me just sipping water every now and then, if that's not too much of a distraction, I think we'll just be peachy. But um, understand why. Let me read you uh, verses 15. through verse 18 you follow as i read brethren i speak in the manner of men though it is only a man's covenant yet if it is confirmed no one annuls or adds to it now to abraham and his seed where the promise is made he does not say and to seeds as of many but as of one and to your seed who is christ And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now, guys, I, I don't expect you to remember any of this, um, but this is, um, this is Paul's third uh, section on answering a question that he posed in verse 2. He poses the question in verse 2, uh, this is what I want to know. I'm paraphrasing. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Um, let me paraphrase again. Here's what I want to know. How did you get saved? Did you get saved by faith or did you get saved by works? How did you get saved? And then he has three sections um, where he is, he is answering that question that he's posing and he's doing it in three different ways. Guys, the, the Apostle Paul was a bright boy. He is a master logician. That is, he is he's, he's sequential, he's logical, And what he's doing is simply saying, how did this happen? And then he poses these things, these these conundrums for them to consider so that they will get rid of this foolishness that they've been dabbling in and return to the place of simply understanding that a man is saved not by some kind of demonstration of law obedience, but by faith in Christ. Now, this section is just the third his third um, piece of logic as he tries to answer the question that he posed in verse 2. Now, he opens in verse 15. He says, brethren, I speak in the manner of men. In essence, um, all right, fellas, listen up. Let me give you an illustration, an illustration that is just taken from uh, the customs of men. Uh, That's all he's doing. let Let me just offer you a... Uh, an example that you're all going to understand because it's it's common legal procedures and he begins to he he refers to a um a human contract um much like a will Uh, by the way let me point this out too his argument is derived from the old testament you know, listen, gentlemen, um, I don't think you appreciate your Old Testament half as much as you ought to. Um, Paul is arguing based on information that he's dragging out of the Old Testament because 
because the, because the gospel is in the Old Testament, ladies and gentlemen. Now, of course, more clarity is added by the new, but uh, there's plenty of gospel in the Old Testament, plenty of justification by faith in the Old Testament, and that's what Paul's using. He's drawing his arguments from the Old Testament while he is still trying to solidify his defense of the gospel. And he's using the Old Testament to do that. I just think that's, I just think that's genius. Of course, he's dealing with Jews, or he's dealing with um, a, a Jewish a problem that was created by Jews. And so to use the Old Testament was another stroke of his own genius to, to overturn them by using their book. But that's what he's doing. He's using Old Testament as he continues to defend the gospel that is um, a gospel of justification by faith. And he uses this example. Um, he, he talks about a human contract, uh, like a will. And he says, in, in, in human experience, uh, if, you, if you strike a deal, then it, uh, a legal deal, there is there's no permission on, on, on either part to tamper with the contents of that, of that will, of that, of that agreement. Man's law is so scrupulously protected, then would you not also think that God's agreements, His covenants, His um, um, human uh, arrangements, or, not, or his, his covenantal arrangements would also be unalterable. Because here's the deal, guys. God makes a covenant with Abraham, you know, that, and then, as the text says, 430 years later, he gives the law. And what Judaism is saying is that the way that a man is saved is by obedience to this law that was given at Sinai. And Paul is saying, wait, 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 wait just a second. There was, a, there was an agreement made 430 years before that one, which is unalterable. How do you think that you can alter this one 430 years later when the law was given? Um, God says to Abraham, Abraham, um, uh, this is in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, um, in you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then he sealed it with a covenant. Now, guys, what I just alluded to is rich, rich stuff. And, and I've, I've put it up here before, um, but we're going to try to do it again. Genesis, oh, look at there, it's working. Genesis chapter 12. God says to Abraham, in you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And then in chapter 15, you know what happens in 15. 15 is one of the most dramatic chapters in all of the Bible. It's where he says, where God says to Abraham, I want you to take some animals, I want you to split them in half. And then God walks through that little row of halved animals. You remember that, that dramatic scene? That is the striking of a covenant. That is, in essence, God saying to Abraham, if I fail to keep the terms of this arrangement that I just made with you, that is, in, all, in you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. If I fail to pull that off, then let what happened to these animals happen to me. Did you get that? Now, guys, um, 
uh, Judaism then comes along. Well, let, let me read verse 16 before we get to that. Um, because verse 16, guys, it's a showstopper. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. By the way, he said that in Genesis 22, 22, 18, I think. All right, guys, are you ready for a little bit of covenantal theology? <laughs> um. I think I've done this before too, but here we go again. <clears throat> because this is the argument of this paragraph. Guys, in, 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 in this, God's dealings with humankind have been, um, have been arranged around two covenants. Okay? Only two. There's only two of them. The first one was the covenant of works. This covenant was made with Adam... And um, it is, Adam, you don't uh, eat of those trees in the middle of the garden and you'll live. I mean, on the, on, on, on the basis of your obedience, you'll live. That lasted all of two chapters, um, Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3 occurs, they disobey. Okay, at that point, another covenantal arrangement comes into force. It is called the covenant of grace. And guys, you are living under that same covenant today. The covenant of grace. Now, if I were to ask you, with whom was the covenant of grace made? And you said Abraham, you would be wrong. <laughs> the covenant of grace was not made with Abraham. A covenant of grace was made with Christ. That is, the Father and the Son say, the Father says to the Son, on the basis of your obedience, the reward will be your people, the people for whom you died. The covenant of grace, it, it, it first shows up uh, very cryptically in Genesis 3.15. But then you get over here to Genesis 12, and this covenant of grace made in all eternity begins to unfold in human history. And the first person that gets swept into it, uh, at least very clearly, is this guy Abraham. And then God does this strange thing in chapter 15. Now, guys, here, here's the... Here's, this is the argument of the Apostle Paul, I mean, in this section. Okay, so here's the covenant of grace made in all eternity. Abraham shows up in Genesis 15, and this covenant of grace begins to unfold in his life. Then, 430 years passed, and Sinai occurs. The law is given. And the argument of the Apostle Paul in those four little, little verses is, if a human law is unalterable, how can you in Judaism now say that this somehow has rendered this 
inoperable. It just doesn't happen. That's his argument. But, but let me, <clears throat> let me just um, kind of amplify why it just doesn't happen. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the covenant of grace is made with Christ. Abe is just, Abraham, Abraham is just, I mean, Noah's a saved man, and I, I hope I'm not confusing you, but Abraham was just the first person with whom that covenant began to unfold. So for the deal to have changed so that you are saved by obedience to the law or the Ten Commandments, the Father would have had to go back on his word to his son. The father makes a deal with the son. And then Judaism is saying, by the way, Judaism is still saying it. Judaism is saying it today. Paul poses the question. Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. How did you people get saved? And Judaism says, well, we got saved by obeying the Ten Commandments. And what Paul says, in essence, what you're saying is, if that's true, then the Father has not kept his word with his Son. Because the covenant of grace was made with Christ. You, and by the way, just think of this too. Not only does he break his word with his Son, but then he goes ahead and sends him to die on the cross for what purpose? Because if you're saved by obedience to the law, why do you need to send Christ on to die in the place of sinners? You don't need to do that. Because, as you know, that's how you're, that's how you're reconciled to God. Like this. But the Father and the Son make an agreement back here in eternity past, and Judaism steps forward today and says, yeah, but that's been changed. The way that you're saved is this. And Paul says, let me just give you an example out of just, uh, you know, uh, human law. You know, you write a will, it's unalterable. It can't be changed. Well, the father and the son wrote a will. And you Jews are troubling these Galatians by telling them that the law got changed at Sinai. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get to this in spades next week. That is, the purpose of the law. But you need to know this. The law, the Ten Commandments at Sinai, are nothing more than a continuation of the covenant of grace. <laughs> the law is to enhance and to underscore and to drive us to the promise in Christ. It's just a it's just an enhancement of the covenant of grace. It's not a substitute. The law never supplanted the covenant of grace. Heaven forbid. The father broke his word to his son and then sent him to die for no good purpose. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where you, 
that's, that's where you were led um, if Judaism has the right gospel. Let, let me say this as clearly as I can say it. Law and grace are mutually exclusive. It's either one or the other. Um, and his argument here is God made a covenant of grace. You go die for them and you'll get a people in, as your reward. And um, by the way, <laughs> you might think that's kind of odd to say, you get a people as your reward. Do you know what Hebrews um, chapter 12, yeah, I think two, but I could be wrong about that. But um, the text says, and for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. Now tell me this, ladies and gentlemen. What was the joy that was set before him? Why is it that Christ endured the cross and despised the the shame? What joy would have led him to go do that? You. That reward, those people. You go obey the law perfectly and then pay for their sin by dying in their place. And the reward is those people. And the son says, for that piece of joy, I will go endure the cross and despise the shame. And then Judaism comes into Galatia after Paul has preached the gospel to these people about salvation by grace through faith alone. And they say, no, 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 no. You've got to obey the law. And Paul's argument is, wait a minute, what you're saying is that that is to um, change the deal that the Father made with the Son. And you don't do that in human law? Then how in the world could you suggest that God has done that? And yet, ladies and gentlemen, to me this is so gloriously beautiful that the Son agreed to endure the cross and despise the same shame before the joy set before him his people is a reward that is so gloriously beautiful and yet this is vastly more preferred this is a gospel that's vastly more preferred than the one that says Christ has paid all of your debt you know guys um I shouldn't do this um because some of my political views might get, um, might get um, uh, uh, displayed. And I don't want my political views displayed because, ladies and gentlemen, the Republicans can't help us and the Democrats can't help us. Our, our, um, our hope doesn't lie in Hillary Clinton losing the, the nomination, ladies and gentlemen. So... Uh, the Republicans don't have it all. Don't have any more solutions than the Democrats. Just the the, the solution is in um, uh, a, a global revival. That's where the solution is found. But you're going to get a little bit of my political views.
the whole immigration debate. You know, did you watch the, um, you know, <laughs> my wife and I spent thousands of dollars to go down to um, Miami and stay in this swanky place. And she says, I want to be home Thursday night to watch those debates. So there we were watching the debates, and, uh, and, and, uh, and very, very frankly, we enjoyed them. <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> immigration, big thing, big political football. I mean, it's a biggie, isn't it? And we've got some really firm views about um, our immigration positions, don't we? Mm, yeah, we need, to, we need to border up those borders, or break them up, or something. Uh, we, need to, we need to stop all this. And uh, all those terrible people are in our country, and and um, and uh, um, we we don't need any more of that. No, sir, we Bobby, we need to stop that. And you know the reason, don't you, know, ladies and gentlemen? You know the reason you want to stop it, don't you? At least the biggest part of the the argument that you have here it is. I don't want those people getting things that they didn't work for. I get them. Because I work for them. And that's the principle by which life should be lived. The golden rule is fairness. So, we gotta, we got to do things fair. And fairness means... If you, if you work for it, you can get it. But you don't, you don't make it that stuff away free. Mm-mm. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that thing goes deep in your soul. It goes deep in our souls. Grace is an insult. We prefer law. We would rather work for it. Than have somebody give it to us. And so then we embrace the gospel and we, we, get, um, we become Christians and yada, yada, yada. And yet. When the political debate begins to rage... What comes to the top is our love of law. Guys, a gospel of grace, it comes in, it comes in second. Grace always comes in second. Um, uh, you, you know, law or, or um, grace says, I will, I will, I will. God says, I will make you, um, uh, all the nations in the earth shall be blessed. And I will do this and I will do this. And law says, thou shalt and thou shalt not. There is a fundamental antagonism. Between grace and law. And if we are left to our, def- our, our default modes, we will choose law every time. Because, you know, anything we got 
We want to earn it. Because that's the only definition of fair that we know. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the gospel is not fair. The gospel is very poor mathematics. It just doesn't add up. And so here we are, lovers of this beautiful thing called the gospel of grace. Here we are saying, oh, yes, we love all that. And yet, you know what you have as a regenerate human being? You got something given to you. You got something that you didn't deserve. You got something that you didn't merit. Yeah, well, okay, I got that, but I don't want anybody else to have that deal. I'm just telling you guys, um, people who glory in grace. Glory in people getting it who you would have never dreamed that would have been included. Gang, um, the simple argument of the Apostle Paul in this, this paragraph is God made a deal, He has not gone back on His deal. And the law that came 430 years later did not change that. And the, the horror of it all to me is the arguments between Christianity and Judaism are exactly the same today as they were 2,100 years ago because Judaism is still saying the same thing. And I'm telling you, they're mutually exclusive. Either you are right or that Judaism is right Paul is arguing in favor of a gospel of pure grace and his master logical mind gives you three little shots at saying, this is why that's so stupid. This is why that's so stupid. And uh, that is Judaism's and legalism and all that business. And his fine one is this. Let me tell you why this is so stupid. Because God made a deal with his son and he would never change it. You wouldn't change your law. Your law is unalterable. Well, his is far more so. Son, you go die in the place of your people. You go obey my law perfectly, and I'll give them credit for it. And you, as your reward, will get a people. And that's the gospel of grace. And you and me have been swept up into that thing. And it ought to influence everything that we think, including silly things like immigration. <laughs> you think about that. Father, I, I do pray that you will um, refresh us once again, all over again, with the great beauty of the gospel. A message that is so um, so good that we sometimes wonder it's too good to be true. And yet, this is why we study this book, Father. 
because we need to be reminded over and over and over again that why the reason that we are reconciled to you is not because we performed well but because Jesus Christ performed in our place and what he did in our place has been made is is very acceptable to you and you are pleased to give us credit for what he did on our behalf what a message to preach to a world that would rather would rather boast in their performance than rest in the performance of Jesus Christ for us here tonight lord oh how we love the glorious gospel of grace might we be impeccable representatives of such a message. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.